People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Welcome to another episode of Premier League Insights, the weekly podcast that's here to help you make accurate predictions and find value in the betting markets. Pinnacle's got the odds, but we need the added insight from the InfoGold data, and here to help with that is Jake Oscarthorpe. How are you, Jake? Yeah, very well, thanks, Ben. Um, it's dragging out this little three-week period. Obviously, we've had Champions League, Premier League, Champions League, Premier League, so it's been busy, so... Um, it's very rare that you hear me say this, but I'm actually looking forward to an international break just to have a little bit of a rest. <laughs> I, I think you've earned it, Jake. In fairness, but um, <laughs> I mean, we've got we've got uh, some good fixtures this week, and if we, I think we need to talk a little bit about last week. I think the less said, the better. But we both went zero from two with our predictions. Manchester United win and and under two point five in the Leeds game. It wasn't that exciting because we both had exactly the same predictions, and I guess the. The only silver lining is there was no ga- no uh, no ground gained or, or lost in our in our ongoing challenge. But let's let's look forward, positive thinking, and we'll we'll look at our highlight games for this week first. Pinnacles going with Manchester City versus Liverpool. What about info goal? Yeah, we're going to go for the game just before that. Leicester versus Wolves. Um, really interesting match. Obviously, Leicester finished last season in in fifth place. Wolves in seventh. I think they flip flopped in our XG table. So. Um, both teams have started pretty well as well, so that's a, a really interesting game. Might not be the most entertaining, but um, interesting nonetheless. I think that might be a sneak peek at what you might be going for in that game. But we'll uh, we'll crack on with <laughs> no our spoilers. Yeah, we'll, we'll crack on with the first game of the the weekend. It's Brighton versus Burnley. Um, we've obviously got Brighton who are a rock bottom. Brighton not much better off in sixteenth. That they're close in the table, but there's a bit of a difference in terms of the performances we've seen so far. Um, I think Brighton's loss to uh, Brighton's loss to Tottenham is is probably the worst we've seen from them, um, and one that they did they did really deserve to lose. Um, Burnley went down three 0 to Chelsea. It was their fifth loss in six games. Another where they offered very little going forward. They're, they're averaging zero point eight five xG four per game now, and no matter how stubborn you are at the back, that's just not good enough to keep you in the Premier League. I think. Um, with the odds, Brighton has uh, Pinnacle has Brighton at, at 1.97, Burnley at 4.36, and the draw is 3.53. That translates into 50% win, win probability for Brighton or, or just over, 22% for Burnley and 28% chance of the draw. Betters are expecting a low-scoring game in this one. There's been a lot of interest in the under 2.5. It's now at 1.813. It's dropped from 1.877 from early in the week. You, are we going to see a start of a Burnley recover, recovery here or, or are Brighton going to get back to winning ways, do you think? Um, I think we could see the start of a, a recovery, but I don't think they'll go to, to Brighton and win. I'll say that much. I think that, as you mentioned, Brighton are, are a team that, that we like quite a lot and uh, they are currently sat in a false position. Their, their performances have warranted more points than what they've actually collected so far. And I think you know that was all, that's the eye test tells you that when you watched them against Chelsea, um, against Manchester United. Obviously, against West Brom as well, in which they were they conceded a very late late equaliser, and against Crystal Palace as well, which they conceded no chances of winning the penalty. But slightly worrying the manner of their defeat at Spurs. I do think that they 
I thought that they'd keep it competitive, which they did, um, two-one scoreline. But I also thought that they had the potential of going there and getting something. But it was a really disappointing performance, and obviously the the omission of Neil Morpai was the big talking point around that. Some sort of fallout in the in the background there. Um, and you know he's your main striker, and, and it's quite clear that they missed him. They created just 0.35 expected goals at Spurs and conceded two expected goals. So it was, it was as you said, their worst performance of the season. Uh, Burnley, I think they were the, the scoreline was was pretty harsh on them actually um, against Chelsea three nil. Chelsea have been something that they weren't last season, which is clinical with their chances. And Burnley were on the on the wrong end of that. One point two four expected goals is what Chelsea created, and, and they managed to score three times from that. So. Um, the signs are still there that this new this Burnley team are uh, still a very strong defensive unit. I think they they've only allowed one point one five expected goals against per game so far this season, which is a really really low total, um, and and it's something that is a really good foundation to build on. But the issue they've had is that they've not been able to create anything at all in attack, averaging just zero point eight five expected goals for per game. Um, obviously, at the start of the season they were still missing some key players like Ashley Barnes. Uh, Jay Rodriguez was in and out of the team. Um, a couple of others in there as well. I think Goodmanson's only just come back fit and Robbie Brady as well. So they, they, they've been a little bit depleted and they've now got these these players back. So it'll be really interesting to see just how that affects them um, moving forward and whether they can create more chances at, at a better rate. Um, I think they've only created three non-penalty big chances so far this season in six matches, Burnley, which is one of the lowest totals in the league. I think early Manchester United and... Um, Who's the other one? I think it's West Brom have created fewer non-penalty big chances. So that, that that's the main area that they need to improve on. As for Brighton, they just need to take their chances. Um, oh no, sorry, actually, this season they are taking the chances. It's their defence that's letting them down. They, they're, they're conceding more than would be expected based on the chances that they face. So they've conceded 14 goals uh, from 9.1 expected goals against, which may have been a reason behind the, the goalkeeper switch at the weekend, which I think, again, caught everyone by surprise. But yeah, going forward, they've been much more clinical. 11 goals from 10.4 expected goals, and that, that's much more like it. And if they'd have scored at that rate last season, they would have been comfortably in the, uh, um, well, probably 11th, 12th, maybe even pushing top half because they were playing um, in such an impressive manner. So this is a really interesting game. I think it's it's quite a big game now, given the state of the table and the fact that Brighton are winless in five, Burnley are winless full stop. Um, I think there's just four points separating them so it's quite a big game at this uh, uh, early on in the season just to get that bit of momentum going so I think it'd be quite cagey quite tight the Infocom model thinks exactly that as well given the fact that Burnley are a solid defensive side and, and Brighton will probably dominate the football and, and not allow Burnley to create anything at all going forward so under two and a half is definitely where we're looking in this one around a 54% chance of, of the unders on the, the model the mark is around 53% chance so there's a small bit of value there um, and I've got to say, I know we, we really like Brighton, but really surprised to see them at, at even money here. I think that is a, a way too short. Somewhere around maybe 2.2, 2.3 is probably a fair fair reflection of Brighton's pri- uh, of Brighton in this game. I think that's that, that 50% even money is definitely underestimating Burnley and, and their ability to, to defend and, and shut up shop. So definitely be, be taking the value on Burnley or the draw at the very least. Um, I think we've got around... 61% chance of Burnley avoiding defeat. So um, the market's at around 50%. So huge bit of value there in, in getting on side with Burnley. And I can see this being a low-scoring draw. 
Yeah, I think there's there's quite a few games actually this week where teams do seem on the short side and interested to see you you're interested in the under there because as I said earlier that's that's really where the money's going at Pinnacle as well. So we'll have to wait and see what happens in that one. But we'll we'll move on to Southampton versus Newcastle. Um, two teams here that are coming into game week eight after good results at the weekend. Newcastle's two one win over Everton was was thoroughly deserved. Southampton's four three against Aston Villa was a bit of a weird one. <laughs> they raced into an early lead, a couple of free kicks. They then collapsed late on and, and a penalty and a bit of a strange goal sort of in the last couple of minutes really kind of skewed that that scoreline. Um, but if you look back over last season, Southampton are definitely the better side. They, they've seemingly struggled to, to get the right results and push into the top half and beyond. And, and really that's where their performances suggest they, sh- they should be. Um, Newcastle have been pretty unpredictable. And that spans over over kind of the last season and a bit. They started last season terribly. They they did all right towards the end. Already this season, we've seen two decent performances from them as, as well as a few woeful ones. Um, they've both got a, a similar attacking process at 1.28 XG per game. Southampton do look a lot better defensively. However, obviously, we, now we know Danny Ings is out, out for, I think it's four to six weeks. That's going to be a less of a threat for Newcastle to deal with at the back. The traders did initially have it priced up pretty similar to uh, the game we've just talked about with Southampton being odds on. Um, but since the news of the Ings injury, they, they have drifted a little bit. They went from 1.917 to 2.05. Um, it's now 3.96 on Newcastle and 3.57 for the draw. Um, so you've got 48% chance on Southampton, 25% for Newcastle and 27% for the draw. Um, as I said, Southampton are the better side. Newcastle have got a good performance in them. Do you, do you think Southampton are good enough to to get the win at this price? I think so. Yeah, um, you know, you mentioned there the drift on Southampton. I think that that's understandable given how important a player Danny Ings is to them. But I, I just still think that, that price of, uh, of odds against now is a really really sensible value play. Uh, the model makes them odds on still. We're giving them a fifty one percent chance. It's around a one point nine five. So the two point zero five is is definitely something that I can get on board with. And you know. Like I said, Danny Ings is a crucial player. His XG per average match so far this season is 0.37. That's actually second in his team to Che Adams at 0.52. So maybe Che Adams will get a few more opportunities um, coming his way. Uh, obviously, we've got a couple of other options to come alongside him. Shane Long is the obvious one. Uh, or maybe even Michael Obafemi, who, who showed glimpses of what he's capable of last season. So um, I think that Southampton as a team are still in a much better place than what Newcastle are. Uh, much better organised, well drilled. Um, they're playing with you know real confidence at the minute. They look fit now. Obviously, they had a couple of early season defeats at Palace and, and Spurs, and they just didn't look their usual selves. They weren't flying around the pitch as they, as they have been. So they look right up to that standard now. Um, defensively, they look pretty solid. Obviously, that you mentioned the game against Villa. That was a really strange one because. Um, they race into a four 0 lead, and and Villa had created next to nothing really in that in that period. And then after they got to four 0 Southampton, they just sort of took the foot off the gas, and Villa racked up two and a half expected goals. So um, that's definitely a result where game state has to be factored in um, to the expected goals, uh, final expected goals total. I'm not reading too much into that defensive performance there against Villa because overall they've been really solid, as you mentioned. And um, yeah, as for Newcastle, they're they're doing Newcastle things again this season, sitting. 11th in the table, 14th in our XG table, so they're marginally higher than what they were last season. But, um, you know, you mentioned that the, the game against Everton, they were fantastic. I, th- I think that part of that's probably down to Everton being pretty poor on the day as well. 
But Newcastle racking up 2.8 expected goals is, um, is, is a rarity. It's something that we see very rarely from Steve Bruce's side. Um, and, you know, most of their good, good results have come at home so far this season. So away from home, I know they picked up, I think they're unbeaten actually away from home. But um, yeah, that unbeaten away from home, three win, uh, three games, one win, two draws. I think they've played Spurs and Wolves in there. So um, good results, but they're, as, as usual with Newcastle, the um, underlying numbers don't reflect the, the results that they've actually picked up. So on the road, they've averaged 0.94 expected goals for 1.8 free expected goals against per game. So an XG ratio of nearly, well, double, which is um, not going to win you too many games away from home. So it be interesting to see if they continue in that manner, whether they'll be able to get another fortunate result here. Um, I can't see it. I think the Southampton team are, are too strong defensively and uh, and throughout the midfield to, for Newcastle to be able to break them down. So I like Southampton. Um, I think that the odds against is a really good bet. That's definitely where I'll be going with this one. Um the unders was also a bit of a value play until the Danny Ings injury was announced and then money has come for the under two and a half goals, which is understandable, really. I think Newcastle will probably struggle to score. Southampton taking away one of their best um, attacking outlets is, is always going to have an effect on goals. But yeah, both teams to score is is still... I mean, we're, we're at both teams to score now as a value play, 48% chance compared to 45%. So that's something I can get on board with it, maybe a Southampton win to nil. But yeah, for me, Southampton just to win this one. Right, we'll get on to Everton versus Manchester United. And after such a great start, I think one of Everton's biggest concerns has, has really come to the fore in the last couple of weeks. They are lacking some squad depth and the, the drop-off from the likes of Richarlison and, and Rodriguez is is quite severe, as we've seen. You just talked about Newcastle's performance against them there. We can now forget about the, the silly talk of a title challenge, but I think once they get their best players back and if they keep them fit or, or not suspended, <clears throat> they, they could still be a real threat to the top six. Top four, probably a bit bit of a push at this stage. Um, as for Manchester United, I don't, I don't really know where to begin. A terrible start to the season got even worse against Arsenal. And, and unlike their poor runs before, what we're seeing in terms of results is, is pretty much in line with what you'd expect from the performances. Um, they haven't been unfortunate or, or on the wrong end of some bad luck. They've just been really bad. Um, they're 15th in the actual table. Is it 18th in the, the info goal expected goals table? That kind of tells you everything you know, need to know, really. The pressure's obviously piling on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer now, especially after the loss in the Champions League. I think if they lose this one, it's it's going to be a real challenge to get the season back on track and keep his job. I know Pochettino was, was in the frame, or there was talk of it before. That's starting to bubble away again now, so it could just be a, a matter of time before we see a change at United. Despite the terrible start and the pressure on Solskjaer, they are still the favourites on the road here. 40% chance of a win according to their odds of 2.43. Everton a little bit higher, 3.04, so a 33% chance of the win for them. Um, and the draw is 3.59, which is around 27%. Um, has things changed since the Champions League, Jake? Or what do you think of this one? Where do you think the value lies? I still think it's with Man United. Um, I know you said they've not been very good this season, but they have shown flashes to me of, of them regaining that form that they finished last season with. Uh, most of that has come in the Champions League, admittedly, against two really strong teams in uh, PSG and RB Leipzig. But um, it is worth mentioning as well that United's away record in the Premier League is really, really impressive and it has been for a while now. So they're, they're, for whatever reason, they're struggling at home. They, they're not creating too many good chances at Old Trafford. Um, but away from home, they're, not, they're having no issues whatsoever. And 
I think that they're probably this game probably suits them as well because Everton are a team now that, that do play on the front foot um, and they will try and take the game to Man United at some point. And I think that that will leave themselves open. And, you know, you talk about squad depth. Manchester United have got a massive squad with, with full of quality players and obviously they play the midweek, but uh, I think it was Turkey they played him on Tuesday. But they've got a um, you know huge squad to be able to rotate for this match and, and not really see too much of a drop-off. So, yeah, I, I do think that the, there's been a bit of an overreaction to Manchester United's start to the season. <clears throat> Something that um, I think I spoke about on here before, that they finished the season a month later than everyone else. So everyone else had a month off or, um, you know, two weeks off and then two weeks into the pre-season training. Um, and then, they had, you know, the Man United basically got thrown straight into the Premier League season so without having much of a pre-season compared to the competitors. And I think that's something that has affected them. They're struggling for rhythm. They're struggling for, um, you know, basically just playing together. Um, they're trying to find their, their match legs, their fitness, their sharpness. Um, and, you know, I think that that, those results against PSG and Leipzig are really explain that as being the case because it's really easy to coach a team defensively um, to keep defensive shape and counter-attack. But break, coaching a team to play in a certain way to break down a, a deep line block is completely different. And um, that that's where you need the connection and um, you need that link up between the players. And I, I don't think it's there at the moment. And I think that, that the only way it's going to get there is just by playing games. Usually they would have played probably five or six pre-season friendlies, maybe even 10 pre-season friendlies because they go off to whatever that International Champions Cup is or, uh, in America. Um, and that that's sort of gets them in, in the right shape and, and right re- ready to go, really. Um, other teams as well, like Manchester City and Wolves, they yet to hit their, their proper strides as well. So it's not just Manchester United it's affected, but in terms of the results, um, Wolves and Manchester City have been able to grind out more results than what United have. And um, obviously that's why United's um, sort of struggles have been really highlighted. Uh, I'm just going to defend them a little bit as well. You said that 19th in our expected goals table. I mean, that is technically correct, but we, we calculate our expected goals table on uh, expected points. Uh, Manchester United have played a game fewer, so they might, um, you know, that game in hand would probably lift them to maybe 17th or 16th, which is much better than 19th. But it hasn't been, um, you know, I think one thing that I would say about United is that Pre-international break, they looked really shaky at the back. Defensively, they were conceding loads of chances. But post-international break, they've been extremely solid. Um, 0.97 expected goals against against Newcastle, 1.47 against PSG, 0.26 against Chelsea, 0.46 against Leipzig, 1.07 against Arsenal, 0.84 against Basak Shahir. So they aren't conceding many chances. So that shows me that they are tightening up defensively. Obviously, the, the game last week against Arsenal, it was just a bad game of football, um, all in all. Arsenal, I, I didn't think that they were they were great. I know they got plaudits for getting the victory, but it was a really just a poor performance all round from both teams. Arsenal created just 0.27 non-penalty expected goals, which is uh, a tragic, tragic number. Manchester United were marginally better at 0.39. So um, I don't think it's time to panic just yet. I think that defensively, they, they look much, much more solid. Um, obviously, the, there's a couple of big issues there couple of big glaring mistakes that were made in midweek, for example. But overall, they've looked much more solid. And I think that stands them in good stead here against an Everton team who um, could well be missing some key players again. I think Lucas Digne is back. Um, I think Richarlison's missing this one still. Um, James Rodriguez is still up in the air as to whether he's going to be playing. Um, so, you know, like you said, the, the, the drop-off between those guys and, and the likes of Iwobi, uh, Bernard, um, 
trying to think who else came in. Fabian Delph came in, didn't he, last week against Newcastle. So it's a severe drop-off in quality. And, um, you know, we saw that last week against Newcastle. Everton did look like a mid-table team as opposed to a team challenging for a, a European spot. And that was the case as well against Southampton. Um, yeah, the main issue I have with Everton is, is the, the way that their attacking process has tailed off. Um, <clears throat> they've created 1.35 expected goals against Liverpool, 0.34 against Southampton and 1.37 against Newcastle. You know, they were they were creating tons of chances pre-international break uh, in every match, seemingly, with obviously Calvert-Lewin getting on the end of quite a few of them to score. And that, that seems to have slowed up a little bit. I wonder if teams maybe figured them out, figured a way to slow them down, or maybe it's just a way of, just, just because of those those key players that are missing and, and them trying to fix uh, a system. But it's, yeah, I mean, these two teams, I've probably put them in a similar bracket. Obviously, Everton have got more points on the board, but there are still question marks about them. Manchester United, like I said, have the game in hand. If they if they win this game, win the game in hand, they go level on points with Everton. Um, and yeah, I, th- I just think that at the prices, I think Manchester United are a little bit too big, at seven to five away from home. What's that around thirty nine percent chance? So yeah, I think yeah, I, I, it's not really a, a massively strong fancy of mine, but I think just at the prices, you have to take Manchester United because I think that they are um, much the better team than Everton when when they went on their day, and, and I think it's worth chancing them at, at that kind of price because I think last season they probably went off it, um, maybe even money in this fixture. Uh, I think it finished one-one that day, but um, yeah, the, the quality that they've got. I think the, the other big one is Martial's back as well for this game. He's been missing through suspension. He provides obviously a much greater attacking threat, um, you know, than the likes of Dan James or Juan Mata, who who has been who have been playing recently in the Premier League. So Martial's um, return is going to be welcome. It means that they've, rather than just having Rashford um, as your main target man or, or Greenwood playing as a, as a front two, you can now incorporate that front three again that was so deadly towards the back end of last season. And although it's not strictly betting related, do you think Solskjaer is, is the right man at United? I know you said there's there's more to their process than potentially the, the numbers show, but should he be gone? Would Pochettino improve it? Should he be given a chance? What do you think? Um, that's a tough one, really. I, I think if, if Solskjaer was to leave Manchester United, there would be no big clubs across Europe that would be after his signature, put it that way. Um, whereas Pochettino is obviously quite a coveted manager, quite a successful manager in, in the way that he developed teams, um, Espanol in Spain and obviously Spurs. Um, I think that the other real negative from Solskjaer is the fact that he doesn't seem to be improving the players. Um, you know, you want your coach to improve your players. You look at likes of Klopp and Guardiola, they get hold of players and you think, wow, he's rubbish. And then all of a sudden he's a world beater. So um, I think Pochettino has the capabilities to do that and improve individual players, whereas Solskjaer just seems to be like almost just right sailing a boat at the minute. He's just doing tiny little tweaks here and there and just letting the players get on with it. So um, I think that Manchester United would be better off with Pochettino or another manager, maybe Max Allegri, who's obviously still out of work, having won about 100 Italian titles in a row. Um, but yeah, I think Solskjaer is probably not the right man f- for the job. I think the only reason he's stayed in the job this long is because... Um, the players have, have, have liked him really and they've played for him because he does seem to be quite a people pleaser in that sense, keeping everyone happy. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it wouldn't, be, wouldn't, be, wouldn't surprise me at all if, if they lost this match and he got sacked with an international break coming up. Right, well, let's move on to, to our next game, Crystal Palace versus Leeds. And Crystal Palace continued their, their up and down start to the season with that 2-0 loss to Wolves in game week seven. It's now three wins, three losses and a draw for them. 
Um, one of the few teams who, despite the table being so condensed and, and unpredictable at the moment, they're probably sitting around where they actually deserve to be. Uh, 1.25 XG for per game, 1.8 XG against. It might not be relegation form based on, on what we've seen from some of the other teams, but it is still pretty poor. And, and if that stays the same, they're going to be down and, and in and around that relegation zone towards the end of the season. If uh, I think if Palace's start can be defined as up and down, I'm not too sure what you'd call Leeds' start. Um, they've got the same record. They're on, they're on three wins, three losses and a draw as well. But we've seen a 4-3 win, a 4-3 loss, a 3-0 win, a 4-1 loss. Um, and obviously a, a win and a draw in there as well, a low score. I think it was 1-0 and 0-0. Um, they've also been a bit of a strange one in terms of the market this season. They're, they've been favourites for some games where I thought maybe they should be outsiders and, and vice versa. They are down for, for favourites in this one at 2.54. Crystal Palace are 2.98 and the draw is 3.44. Um, that means that Lee, uh, Pinnacle's giving Leeds a 39% chance of victory. Do you think that's the right number, Jake? No, I think the the fact that Leeds are favourites is a little bit, I don't know, over the top. I think that Crystal Palace, they've done enough so far to me for at least think that they should be favourites in this match. Um, we've got them 37% favourites to win, which does mean, to be fair, that on a neutral venue, we think Leeds are the better of the two teams, which is probably correct. But um, it, it, small home advantage that there is now is still in play. Um, and we think that that would contribute to Crystal Palace being... Um, marginal favourites here um, I, I don't really know what to make of these these two teams like you said they've been so up and down um, Crystal Palace they continue to be pretty tame in attack they, they show glimpses of what they're capable of like away at Manchester United for example um, away at Fulham but they, they don't really follow it up um, you know after that Man United game they created 1.8 against Man United and then it followed it up with a 0.7 against Everton um, after the Fulham win, 2.7 they created at Fulham, 0.9 at Wolves. They, they're just so inconsistent in their attacking play. Um, they're struggling to create chances on a regular basis. Um, they, they are just basically a front-running team. Um, you know, they're, they're set up in a way to counter-attack. Basically, they want to they want to score the first goal, um, sit back and, and sort of soak up pressure and try and counter-attack. And that is shown in, in their expected goals breakdown, which is really interesting. So, we, we've isolated their expected goals from winning positions, drawing positions and, and losing positions. And only 14% of Crystal Palace's expected goals for this season have come when they've been behind, which um, sort of shows you that when they're down, when they're, when they're behind, they're pretty much out. They, they've already cashed out. They, they're like, they go 1-0 down and then that's it. You can basically blow the whistle. Um, you know, you compare that to the, when, when, they're in, when they're in front. So when they're already ahead, they've created 58% of their total expected goals when they're already ahead. And that just shows you again that, that that as soon as they are taking a lead, they can sit back and play play to their strength, which is the counter attack. Um, so I just found that really interesting, and, and and all of this means really that the first goal is massively crucial in every Crystal Palace match. If Crystal Palace get it, they've got a really good chance of um, either extending it or holding on to it. Um, and if they lose it, then they've basically got no chance of of getting back in the game. Um, I think that's obviously down, like I said, to set up and, and the way Roy Hodgson sets his team up and the players that he has at his disposal. But yeah, it does mean that every goal, every the first goal is, is massive in every single Crystal Palace match and this game will be no different. And that's why I think that we could see quite a low scoring one just simply because Palace do play on the fine margins. Um, Leeds, 
They were brilliant at Villa Park, but they were really brought down to earth uh, with a bang by Leicester, beating four-one at home, which is um, you know not the kind of result that anyone was expecting. Really, Leicester racked up three expected goals in that game. Um, and, you know they've, they've they've looked okay in attack. They've averaged around one point six, one point seven expected goals four per game so far this season. But defensively, there's still massive question marks. Um, allow one point nine expected goals against per game. Having said that, it is difficult to see Crystal Palace causing. Um, causing them the same amount of issues. Obviously, Leeds play in this crazy high press. Crystal Palace will probably just sit back in, in two banks of four and a two and try and soak up pressure. Um, and, you know, a defensive-minded approach, which is what they do play with, with li- offering little in attack um, other than the counter-attack. I'm sure that Palace will have been watching that tape um, of Leeds versus Leicester and watch what Leicester did and, and probably thought that we could do something similar, which wouldn't surprise me at all. But uh, they'd probably the difference would be, from my perspective, is that Crystal Palace might get the first goal. But rather than going for the throat like Leicester did, keep going and playing attacking, trying to get the ball back to front as quickly as possible, Crystal Palace probably just sit in and try and hold on to that 1-0 like they did against Brighton. So, yeah, under two and a half is a massive play in this one for me. (coughs) 57% chance of the unders on the model, 54% chance uh, on the market. So there's a small value in there. Um, As I've said, Crystal Palace, we make them favourites in this game, narrow favourites, so there is value in backing them at a fairly big price. But if you wanted a little bit more security, then obviously the double chance Crystal Palace, which would obviously be much shorter price, um, is also a decent value bet that I would happily get on board with. We're most of the time we're we're talking about pre-match odds here, and obviously the the prices before the game kicks off. But what you said there about Palace, could you? Do you think maybe if you're betting on on games involving them, do you can you profile a team like that for for live betting or something like that? You can, yeah. Um, obviously, if you're watching the game, that that helps massively. Um, you, could, you know, if a goal goes in, I'm pretty sure that the market would react in the same way that obviously what what many are thinking anyway. In the sense that Crystal Palace to go one up, they're they're probably the match odds do um, shorten quite quickly because of the, the way that they play, the fact that they, they do sit deep and, and counter-attack. Um, and I think the goals, the goal lines probably would also decrease slightly. And and, and then it obviously de- depends on the team that they're, they're playing, whether they are a team that you think is capable of carving out an, an opportunity against a, a deep-line block. And, and to be fair to Leeds, they have shown that they are capable of doing that. Um, having said that, the, the last team they played with a deep-line block was Wolves and they, they really struggled to get anything going Um so yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, it's early days, and, and that data that I did quote is is um, you know it's a, it's a very small sample size for just seven matches, but um, I think it does sort of tell the tale of, of how Crystal Palace operate. Right. Well, our next game is Chelsea versus Sheffield United, and Chelsea seem to be piecing things together a bit after that that shaky start that they had. Um, a clean sheet against Burnley isn't the the greatest achievement in the world, considering what we've seen from them so far this season, but. They have now gone five games in all competitions without conceding. And with the front line that they've got, if they can keep things tight at the back, they could be a very strong team as the as the season progresses. For Sheffield United, I think you just got a feel for them a little bit. A lot of neutrals enjoyed watching them last season and hoping they could emulate Wolves with that big first season back in the Premier League. They, they ended up dropping away a bit towards the end. Um, it was more kind of mid-table. They were they were never really in danger of relegation, and I think that for them as a as a season is certainly a major success. But this season, however, they're they're second from bottom. They're still winless after seven games. The process isn't great or as good as it was 
at points last season, but it, it but it isn't as bad as a lot of people above them in the table, and and really they've just been quite unlucky. Um, it could be another game without a win for them though. Here they're they're given little over ten percent chance with their odds of eight point eight two. Chelsea very heavily fancied by the market, and we've been seeing plenty of action in in them since the midweek win as well. Um, they're at one point three eight four, so almost a seventy percent win probability for them. Maybe some early early season overreaction here in terms of how bad Sheffield United are, Jake, or, or do you think the prices are fair? Yeah, I, I do feel for Sheffield United as well. Um, you know, as be, being a Sheffield Wednesday fan, it is really bad to see them uh, <laughs> struggling at the wrong end of the Premier League table. <laughs> but now, to be fair, like I've got big respect for Chris Wilder and, and everything that he's, he's done there. Um, and yeah, you know, you said there. I do feel sorry for them, just purely because of the fixture list, that the, the, the schedule that they've come, come up against. Playing Wolves, Leeds, Arsenal, Liverpool, Man City and now Chelsea. Uh, six difficult games in their opening eight matches is, is far from ideal. Things will get easier for them, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's really difficult to see them getting anything from this game. I think the, the, the prices are a little bit too short. 70% chance of a Chelsea win. We're at 65, so we still think that Chelsea win is... is you know, highly likely, but not as as likely as, as the seventy percent. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting game. This, I think, obviously, there's a lot of buzz around Chelsea's defensive process at the minute and the fact that they're keeping clean sheets. I think, obviously, Edward Mendy has um, you know massively helped with that coming in. Just his presence more than anything. The fact that Kepa's not in the net has probably settled the centre the centre halves down. Um, the way that the plane has also resulted in um, you know. Low probability chances conceded, but also low probability chances created because they are much more defensive minded and, and they aren't they aren't the the attacking unit that we saw from last season that averaged around two point two expected goals for per game. So uh, you know we saw that against Manchester United, they were pretty toothless. I think they just went there to get a draw, really, which was really boring to watch. Not point two six expected goals in that game against Burnley. Um, yeah, like, like I said earlier, they, they won three 0 but they only created 1.24 expected goals. Um, and, you know, fortunately for Chelsea so far this season, <clears throat> they've been really clinical with the chances, which is something that didn't happen last season. So they've scored 16 times from 11.1 expected goals this term. And just a reminder that last season, they scored 69 times from 78.3 expected goals. So um, obviously the signings have helped. Timo Werner is a, you know, is a high-class operator, really clinical finisher. Um, you know, I think Ziyech scored last week from a, a really low probability chance. So, you know, the, things are looking up for Chelsea. I think that, that I would like to see them improve that attacking process a little bit more before we start getting carried away with being title contenders. Uh, but if they can maintain this same defensive process, then they're going to be in there or thereabouts again in, in the top four for sure. Um, and yeah, I, it is looking positive. Like I said, that my only gripe is just that, that attacking process. It's still really low at the moment. I think the penalties that they've um, been awarded has, has ma- massively boosted their their expected goals for as well. I think they're, they're averaging 1.58 expected goals for per game, but I think they've had four or five penalties this season in the Premier League already, which is going to inflate that total quite considerably. Um, Sheffield United, they, they didn't really lay a glove on Manchester City. Uh, they had a go at Liverpool and created 1.7 XG, but against City it was 0.45. They didn't really enforce themselves in the game at all and, and that's been an issue for them this season is creating the chances there's a bit of a problem for them last season um, you know, I think they were averaging around 1.3 expected goals last season this time around it's at 1.12 which is um, you know 
considerably lower and it does mean that that's the main reason they're not picking up points because they are conceding goals and chances. 1.57 expected goals against per game. Um, I, I can't see them scoring at Stamford Bridge. I know they went there last season. They got a really good result through 2-2. They went absolutely hammered Chelsea 3-0 at, at, at Bramall Lane as well. So they've got a really good recent head-to-head record against them. Um, Wilder versus Lampard. I wonder if that's maybe system orientated. Lampard maybe doesn't know how to deal with Sheffield United system. So I won't completely write them off, but um, I do think the Chelsea team will probably probably win. I'd be tempted if you can get Sheffield United maybe plus one and a half on a handicap. That is something that would interest me. I think that they'll keep this tight. That that bet would have landed in all of the matches against Arsenal, Liverpool and Manchester City this season. Basically losing, but keeping the scoreline um, quite tight. I think that that is a really, really good angle into this one. I don't think they'll get comfortably beaten. Um, and if you don't fancy that, then just side with the unders if you think it's going to be a tight one. We're given a 46% chance of under 2.5 model. Market's at 43%. So there's decent value at backing um, under two and a half goals at around 2.2 as well. But yeah, I really like the, the idea of Sheffield United plus one and a half um, on the Asians. And in terms of the, the, they are down there in terms of relegation markets. Fulham, West Brom are, are well into even money. Uh, Burnley are kind of hovering around odds on and, and evens. Sheffield United are then next in the list for most people. Do you think uh, we're only seven, eight games in? Do you think that's that's kind of a, a, a true reflection of where they're at, or are they? Do you think they they've got no danger and they should be safe this season? I wouldn't say that they've got no danger. I think that we were we were all expecting a drop off. I think at the start of the season we'd forecasted them to finish uh, around thirteenth or fourteenth, so we expect them to be in the bottom half. But like like I said, that the main reason that they are down there at the moment is because of the schedule. They've, they've played some of the toughest teams in the Premier League, Arsenal, Liverpool, City, Leeds, uh, Wolves. So five of their seven matches have come against teams that we expect to finish in the top half. Um, against Aston Villa, they were unfortunate. Obviously, the, the, the early sending off, the penalty miss has contributed to a 1-0 defeat there. And against Fulham as well, which I think was a fair 1-1 draw on the day, but that was just a game to get points on the board for both. So um, I, I'm not at panic stations just yet. I think that there are obviously West Brom. They look absolutely abysmal. We'll get onto them in a minute, but um, they look they look terrible. Fulham don't look much better. Um, look like them two look like they can only beat each other. Um, Burnley, I think that they'll they'll probably pull out um, at some point. They'll pull some results out of the bag. Similar to Sheffield United, they've had a pretty tough schedule. Um, yeah, but it's, you're looking up the table and it, you're struggling to see anyone else who's going to sort of drop into that. Maybe Crystal Palace, the way that they've been playing at the moment. Newcastle, uh, I know they were quite a few favorite people's favourites to go down this season. Obviously, they've made some um, some decent signings, though, which look to have maybe pulled their expected goals for process up. Um, and above that, maybe, I mean, Aston Villa were, were, were in the betting as well at one point, but they've had such a good start. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I think Sheffield United, they're going to be in and around the relegation battle all season. It's just whether they can do enough to get out of it. Um, I think that, like I said, the, the schedule's been tough on them. There'll be an easier run of fixtures coming up. Um, yeah, they, they've got they've got some kind of fixtures coming up. I think West Ham at home next. West Brom away is obviously the massive one, um, and then and then it gets tough tough again. To be fair, Leicester at home, Southampton away, Man United at home, um, and then they've got a run of three or four games that, that do look like really big head to head matches against Brighton, Burnley, Crystal Palace, Newcastle. So um, yeah, still all to play for. I think as long as they can keep that. Uh, defensive process relatively tight and um, obviously bringing in Rian Brewster is is a really interesting signing 
Uh, he hopefully will be able to help them with some clinical finishing because that's one area they've struggled this season. Three goals from eight expected goals. Um, yeah, that, look, it's too early to, to tell. I know, I know we're seven games in now, which is a decent portion of the season. But um, yeah, it's, it's still too early. And, and the, the fixture schedule, the schedules are, are so lopsided in different teams' favour. So Aston Villa are obviously quite high up there. They might have had an easy schedule compared to the likes of Burnley and Sheffield United. And they could easily come back to the pack. But yeah, it's too early to tell. Um, I personally think that Burnley and Sheffield United will have enough to stay up, um, but I'm not. I couldn't tell you who the third team to go down would be. Right. Well, let's let's move on to West Ham versus Fulham. And it looking at the table, I think it might look like a normal season for West Ham. They are hovering just above the relegation zone. But when you dig into it, you've mentioned there about the the schedule for Sheffield United for West Ham. It's it's actually been a pretty decent season. They've played six of last season's top eight in their first seven games. Um, they've come away with eight points. And even better than that, it's, it's a process that actually looks much better than last season at both ends of the pitch, in defence and attack. Whether it's me being a fan or not, I don't know. But it feels like these kind of games... Top six. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we won't get too carried away. I mean, more so, more so the game against Fulham. This is... This is, for me, I think, a real test for West Ham. They're, it's a game where they're actually going to have to take the game to their opponent while still obviously keeping that shape at the back and not giving away too many chances. Um, I don't think they're going to have much trouble going forward as Fulham, Fulham are averaging 1.74 XG against per game so far. Um, they haven't actually been that good going forward, Fulham. 1.19 XG per game. Um, but a lot of that has come in recent games, so they're certainly improving. The trades at Pinnacle make West Ham the favourites for this. I, I can't remember the last time they were odds on, but they've got a 53% chance of the win at 1.854. Um, Fulham get just over 22% chance of the win with their odds of 4.33. Most of the action for here is on the, the total and it's over 2.5. So better thinking we could potentially see an exciting game. It's still available at 1.862 for anyone interested, but maybe now that's that's kind of looking a bit on the short side. Is uh, is info goal in line with the odds on this one? Yes, pretty much bang in line to be honest. Um, we've got West Ham as fifty one percent favourites. You said fifty two there. Um, over is again. I think we're fifty two percent chance of over two and a half. Markets are fifty one. So small value there in backing the over two and a half. Um, yeah, really impressive what I've seen from West Ham. Obviously, you, you said there they've they've had probably the, the toughest schedule in the Premier League. They sit ninth in our XG table after that. Uh, that little run as well, which is is really really impressive. I, I don't think we can you know underestimate just how much of an achievement that is to post a positive expected goal difference. Um, having played the likes of City, um, the likes of Liverpool, um, you know Wolves, Leicester, Tottenham, it, it really is impressive, uh, an impressive feat to, to not only to get the points on the board but also to rack up a process of, of what what is a top half team. Um, like you said, massive test though. This is obviously a game that they're expected to win, as opposed to one that um, you know they're really big outsiders. The last time that they had a game that they were expected to win, I believe, was against Newcastle, um, which obviously ended in in defeat. So, hopefully, for West Ham's sake, they can um, make at least have, get a better result than that one. Uh, obviously, the big news is, is Antonio's absence still, who obviously is a massive key player for them. I thought. Sebastian Haller did a decent job last week against Liverpool. Um, obviously, he doesn't quite offer the same um, pace in behind, but he's not a slouch um, and he's, he's a really good target man. I think that he could cause Fulham some real problems. Um, I think the main 
positive for West Ham is, is the players that they've got behind Haller have been really, really impressive. The likes of Fournals and, and Jared Bowen, both um, playing really well. Um, I think they, they're, they're both averaging pretty decent expected goal numbers, actually. Expected goal per average match, 0.36 for Bowen and 0.33 for Fournals. So they're both getting on the end of decent chances on a regular basis. And that, that obviously helps um, with the fact that um, Antonio's out injured for this. You mentioned the process there is is really strong in attack, uh, pretty strong in defence as well. Like I said, given the, given the opponents they faced, so they they are really trending in a, in a massively positive direction. Are West Ham, and, and I think that this could be a really good game for them. And I said there before, Fulham, they, they don't look very good at all. Um, they got the first win on the board against West Brom. We'll get on to West Brom in a minute. I keep saying that. I can't wait to get into them. Um, but yeah, it, it was good performance. That they rightly won. We, we have West Brom as, as the worst team in the league so far. We've got them forecast to finish bottom, so we won't read too much into into that win. Um, the fact that they limited West Brom to just 0.5 expected goals again shouldn't be um, overreacted to. West Brom have averaged 0.5 expected goals per game throughout the season so far, so they basically just held them to West Brom West Brom's average. Um, but yeah, it, obviously the, the 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 win is going to provide some confidence, but um, you said, as you mentioned, their, their process um, defensively is pretty poor. 1.75 expected goals against per game. So they will give up chances here. Um, and West Ham have the players to, to really hurt them. And yeah, I think West Ham they started off around even money for this game. And, and I've been backed into odds on around 1.85 now. I think that's probably fair. Um, I think for this, I'd be happy to settle with the overs. I think that we're probably going to see quite a few goals. Fulham's defensive um, frailties will be exposed, I think. And, and you know, they've got a couple of decent attacking players. Loftus-Cheek, Adam Ola-Luckman, obviously Mitrovic, um, that could potentially get them on the score sheet as well. So over two and a half is probably the way I'd go in this one. Um, we've got small value there. I think both teams scores and also potentially um, an interesting bet. <clears throat> Like I've said, um, a little bit of a shorter price. We haven't got too much value in that though, around 55% chance compared to 55%. So bang on. Um, yeah, this is a very well-priced up match from the uh, bookmakers. But yeah, if I was to pick one, I'd go with the overs in this. Right, let's move on to West Brom versus Tottenham. And we, you just talked there about how, how poor West Brom have been this season and, and the fact that it didn't get much better for them in there. The game against Fulham, a really important game at the bottom of the table. And once again, they just they barely showed up. As you said, another game of under 0.5 xG on the board. The average of 0.54 expected goals for per game. It's, I mean, it's not even relegation level. That is, that is, we're getting to historically bad levels of attacking process now. Um, Tottenham, meanwhile, they're they're the complete opposite. They are playing really well. They're getting results. They're making themselves part of the title race conversation. They had a major dip that lasted almost kind of two seasons and and we did kind of get into them a little bit for that, but they do look a lot better now. They still need to improve at the back, I think, but really a lot of the talk we had and discussion was around the, the lack of attacking output despite having so many big-name players and big talents. Um, that was the main issue. They're now creating chances for fun and, and really look to have worked on that. No surprise to see Spurs as, as such short favourites here around a 65% win probability with odds of 1.549. West Brom, a, a big home underdog, a price of 6.54, gives them just under 15% chance of getting their first win of the season. Um, the draw is 4.41. That's your remaining 20%. Betters also like the over 2.5 and 3 here. And 
given what we've both said about West Brom's shocking numbers, you have to imagine that's geared towards kind of a, a three or four nil win for Spurs. What do you think of this one? Do, do West Brom have any chance at all or are we going to see Spurs steamroll them? Yeah, I think it's more the latter um, is, is probably the, the most likely outcome. Um, yeah, he, West Brom are on, on a really embarrassing pace to be the worst attacking team in Premier League history. Um, I know that according to expected goals, that is, because <laughs> they've actually scored a few goals this season. But um, yeah, I think the, the average of 0.54 expected goals four per game would would easily beat the the next worst um Goal started collecting Premier League data in twenty fourteen. So in that six, seven years, seven season span, um the worst expected goals for process over a course of a season was Aston Villa in twenty fifteen, sixteen season. So uh that was at 0.82 expected goals for per game. So West Brom are on pace to absolutely um steal that title from Aston Villa with plenty to spare as well. They just look really toothless. Um, Slava Bilic has really struggled to find a balance between looking solid defensively and, and obviously being a, a potent attacking threat. Scored a few goals early on in the season. Obviously, I think they bagged twice at Everton, three times against Chelsea. Um, but obviously, they conceded loads of goals in that game as well um, and five against Everton. So, again, finding that balance has been, has been crucial uh, and it hasn't happened. And I think... Most recently, he's shifted to a, a, a three-man three central midfield with three defensive midfielders, which, um, yeah, basically, is, is all it's doing is, is reducing West Brom's um, expected goals against quite considerably. Um, that, that's the only positive, really, from what, what Village has done. They've allowed uh, 1.2 expected goals against per game across their last four matches, which is pretty impressive, really, given the fact that they've conceded around 2.6 expected goals against per game of the first three matches. So that there's been a drastic um, upturn in defensive process, but their attacking process is still really, really poor. And it just means that we're not really expecting West Brom to cause Spurs any problems whatsoever in this game. Um, it probably will be a Spurs win to nil. That's definitely something that I would um, table as, as a decent value bet. Um, I think the, the both teams to score... We're both teams to score no at 55% chance. Uh, the market's at f- around 48% chance, just over even money. So that's a huge value bet. And it's something that I would uh, highly recommend some people getting on board with. Um, Spurs, they, they are improving greatly under Jose Mourinho. I think that that's something that needs to be realised now. There's probably quite a few people out there that don't want that to be the case, but um, it is it is happening. They are improving only Liverpool have posted better attacking process than Tottenham this season, averaging 2.2 expected goals four per game. Um, and defensively, they've looked relatively solid for the most part, averaging 1.3 expected goals against per game. So their process is is pretty much in line with what we saw from Chelsea last season when they finished third in RXG table. So they are trending in a really positive direction, our Tottenham. Obviously, they've got some really, really um, talented attacking players that are bang on form. Uh, obviously, Hyunmin Son, eight goals from 3.3 expected goals. Harry Kane, six goals from 5.9 expected goals. Gareth Bale got his first goal back last week with a, um, uh, a late winner, late header against Brighton. He's um, played 55 minutes of football for Tottenham in the Premier League and uh, he's been on the end of 0.9 expected goals. So, his expected goal per average match is 1.54, which is really impressive, but I don't think he's going to continue that. Um, but yeah, they're, they're in a really good place, our Tottenham. And I think that the the attacking style that they're now playing with is is a breath of fresh air, really, compared to what we saw last season, which was drab and, and grind out results. So Spurs to win this, 
to win this to nil is definitely something I, I like I said I think is a really sensible bet. Um, in terms of the goal line, the over two and a half is at fifty six percent. That's that's shortened quite drastically over the last couple of uh, or last twenty four hours. I think mainly because of what we saw in the Europa League with a comfortable win. The model's actually going with the unders in this one, which I think is really interesting and can sort of see where it's coming from with West Brom's improving defensive process and um, their lack of attacking threat. Uh, Spurs expected to win comfortably, but two uh, 0 isn't beyond the realms of possibility. And I think that um, under two and a half is, is like I said, it's a, it's a really strong value bet. I think we've got a twelve percent margin on that one, so that is our best value bet for the game. But I'd just be a little bit wary of that because if Spurs do rack up a couple of early goals, then the scoreline could get out of hand. Um, I much prefer the both teams to score no angle into this one with Spurs perhaps winning to nil as, as a as a second bet. Right, and then we've got Leicester versus Wolves, which, as we said, that's, that's InfoGoal's highlight game for this weekend. Um, two teams here that, that could have broken into the top four last season but didn't quite make it. Leicester completely crumbled after Christmas while Wolves were... I mean, they were in with a chance until the very end but but dropped away themselves as well. Um, both have started well in this campaign. Leicester is second with Wolves in sixth. Um, it's been the best start for, for both of them after seven games and while... Leicester do deserve to be where they are. Wolves, Wolves haven't quite been at it and have kind of scraped results, as you said earlier. But if you dig more into it, they're probably level in terms of their process because Leicester, Leicester have had a, a league high six penalties, I think it is. And given how unsustainable that is, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Leicester drop away and, and Wolves maybe improve a little bit more as the season goes on. Um, the market is, is fairly close here. Leicester holding the edge up with odds of um, 2.47, so that gives them around a 40% chance of the win. Um, the draw is 3.16, which is just around 30% chance, and Wolves are, are just under 30% chance with their odds of 3.36. It is a it's a really interesting matchup. It's the the info goal highlight game. Where's the offer on 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 this one, Jake? Yeah, there's a couple of plays actually that the models flagged up as value. Uh, Wolves to win is one of them. Um, Given the way Leicester are playing, I probably would um, swerve that one, maybe get Wolves or the draw on side instead. Um, the other is under two and a half goals, which I think is is you know, rightly short price, but it is a short price. Um, I think just for a little bit of excitement, I might chance the under one and a half um, in this match. Bold. Is, yeah, it's bold. Um, I, th- I just think that these two teams are so evenly matched that they probably will cancel each other out again. You know, that if you remember back to last season, these two, the, the two head-to-head meetings ended nil-nil. What both of nil-nil? So, the fact that this has even made the TV slot is baffling to me, really, because <laughs> we could be on for the same. Um, but yeah, Leicester. To be fair to them, they've been really impressive of late. Uh, the most recent four-one win against Leeds was eye-catching, obviously. But I just think that that narrow win at Arsenal is probably more of what we can expect from from this game. Um, I think there was a combined 1.9 expected goals in that game with Leicester winning 1-0. Um, that moved them up to second, the win against Leeds in the Premier League, which is, you know, really, it's really impressive because I think, don't think many people thought that they could sustain the, um, well, the, one, their process from last season and two, they'd be able to deal with the Europa League, uh, Premier League demands every week. But they've done impressively well. Um, I think the, They've won all three of their group games so far, which is, um, you know, credit really to Brendan Rodgers and his rotation and his squad, winning both league matches in between there as well. So, um, really, yeah, can't speak highly enough of what they've done so far. But as you've said, their underlying numbers have continued to be boosted by penalties, which, um, you know, it, 
Infocom model in the Premier League, we have a, a penalty has an XG of 0.8. It varies from league to league, just based on historical conversion rates. Um, 0.8 for the Premier League. They've had six, which is obviously 4.8 expected goals, meaning that they've averaged just 1.1 non-penalty expected goals per game in the Premier League, which is um, a really low total for a, a team that we expect to be really high, high scoring and um, you know play quite attractive attacking football. So from open play, they don't create that many good chances and um, they've been the beneficiaries of some clinical finishing as well. 17 goals from 12.4 expected goals. Compare that to Liverpool's 17 goals from 17.2 expected goals. So Leicester have been definitely um, fortunate in that sense. And um, you know, if you compare to Liverpool again, Liverpool 9.4 expected goals against Leicester, 9.1 expected goals against. But Liverpool have conceded six more goals than Leicester. So, um, yeah, I mean, that speaks more about Liverpool being unfortunate than Leicester being fortunate defensively. But just to put it into into perspective, um, yeah, so I, I like what I've seen from Leicester. I think that they're, they're probably going to, push again for a top six finish and could easily do that again. But just find this is a really tough game to call. And, and I think that they, the, the struggles that they had last season in breaking Wolves down, I think will still be the same. I don't think this Wolves team's changed that much defensively. They're still extremely strong. They're unbeaten in four league games. Uh, 2-0 win over Palace was the fourth clean sheet of the season, which is something that we've come to expect from Wolves. Um, and, you know, since their uncharacteristically sloppy performance at West Ham, which obviously made you very happy, Ben, Wolves have been really impressive at the back, allowing just 0.9 expected goals against per game. So they are trending back towards the levels that they showed last season, um, defensively anyway. But they, they another team that continues to have issues in attack, though, they've averaged just 1.1 expected goals for per game um, so far this season. I think part of that is maybe down to the fact they're trying to figure out their forward line without Diogo Jota. I also think that that could be similar to what we spoke about in Manchester United, them just finding struggling to find their rhythm. Um, but obviously, we know that Wolves are a much more system and structure-based attacking team than, than Manchester United, which is uh, much more off the cuff. So maybe maybe they're, they're, they're just being a little bit found out uh, in attack, the f- opposition of making it, uh, finding it easier to stop them. Um, and I think they could easily be stifled again at, at the King Power. Um, as I said last time, last season, both these uh, matches ended nil-nil. I think the, the game at the King Power was the opening game of the season. For both of these two teams, I think 0.77 expected goals to 0.73 expected goals was the nil-nil total in that one. And then um, the second time around, it was 1.34 to 0.69 in Wolves' favour. But Leicester did get man sent off with around 20 minutes to go. So, yeah, I, I just think they're so evenly matched these two teams. I don't think there's much in it. And um, they're two strong teams. Under two and a half goals is a play, as I've said, but... Under one and a half, I think one team maybe squeaking this one nil is is something I, I could easily see happening. I think obviously Wolves are a very binary team. One they win a, a lot of games one nil, they draw quite a few one one. But um, I won't be surprised to see this being nil nil. Well, low scoring and, and maybe a one nil, hopefully. But hopefully that goes to to Wolves because that's where where Pinnacle is going on this one. And I guess kind of similar thinking to yourself that that Wolves are likely to keep it tight. Hopefully Leicester don't get a penalty. Um, and and Pinnacle's hoping that Wolves come away with the win. And <laughs> I said yours was bold under one point five at two point eight six. The the Wolves pick actually seems or or apparently is more unlikely according to the markets uh, at three point three six. So an interesting one for both of us, and we'll we'll have to see what happens. We'll move on now though to our it's now actually Pinnacle's highlight game with Manchester City versus Liverpool. So predictions on the line again. Um, it's. I think for most people, it's going to be the standout fixture of game week eight. Um, although it's not 
strictly speaking, a, a top of the table clash with Manchester City in they ninth or tenth, I think they are at the moment. Um, but it's obviously the two main title contenders coming up against each other. Liverpool had that blip against Aston Villa, but outside of that, they they have looked pretty good. The the draw against Everton, the only other blot on their record so far, two point four five xG per game. Um, it's it's what we've come to expect from them, really, um, in terms of attack. 1.34 xG against isn't the the elite defensive process that that we would see from them, and, and maybe Van Dijk missing would would have an impact on that. But there is also more reasons, and I think half of the half of their total, near enough half of their total, came in that one game against Aston Villa. So it's on the on the looking at things kind of bigger picture wise, it's it's not too bad at all for them in in terms of the defense. As for Man City, another game where they they weren't at their best going forward against Sheffield United. And I don't. I'd, I'd be interested to kind of get your thoughts on here, and maybe you can talk to it a little bit in terms of the predictions. But maybe we're finally seeing a, a change of tactic from Guardiola, scraping wins instead of trying to blow the opposition away. More likely that it's just a, a lack of an out-and-out striker is is probably having them struggle to to kind of spearhead the attack or any one player to sort of go through centrally. But it, it it just feels strange to see them putting up less than two expected goals in almost every game. Um, they're they're below it, they're below that number in it. I think every game apart from the the Wolves win, and and even then it was only just over two expected goals. They are still the favourite. Yeah, exactly. They are still the favourites to win the league, though. Um, they were actually odds on to win this one as well. Pinnacle had them at one point nine seven before the round of Champions League games. There's been a a tiny move to to 2.06, so just under a 50% chance of them to to win this one now. Liverpool are 3.42, so uh, 30% chance of them, um, and the draw is is 4.12 as well. Um, total 3 and 3.5, it seems like the market is expecting a tight game rather than both teams going all out attack, and, uh, and most of the action is, is coming in for the under on that one. What does Info, Info Goal make of this? Yeah, it's the biggest game of the season so far. Um, two best teams in the Premier League are going head-to-head. Our model, we, we've done a bit of um, calculations looking at the well, what, what, how the outcome of this match would affect the title odds uh, or percentages from based on our model. Um, and whatever the outcome of this game, there's a 90% chance that the winner of the title will be either Manchester City or Liverpool. So, sorry Aston Villa, sorry Leicester, um, but Manchester City or Liverpool are probably going to win the title. So, all that means, basically, there's a, there's a huge amount riding on this head-to-head. If Liverpool win, their chance of retaining the title is around 60%. If City win, their chance of regaining the title is at 57%. So whoever wins this game is, is going to be, you know, short odds on, really, um, around 1.5, uh, no, sorry, 1.7 or, or shorter. Um, and a draw leaves it on a knife edge with, I think, around 45% chance of both winning the Premier League. So if it ends up in a draw, then we're going to have a, almost a dead heat. Um, going into the next round of fixtures in terms of our probabilities. So it's really fascinating to see what's going to happen. Um, yeah, I think that both teams have got question marks coming into this game. Obviously, Manchester City is, is definitely their attacking process, but it's worth mentioning their, their defensive process so far has been um, really, really impressive. It allowed just 0.5 expected goals against per game across their last six matches. <clears throat> so they've tightened up drastically and obviously uh, it's a monstrous improvement. But it's come at a bit of a cost, as you mentioned, that in the same period, City have created an average of just 1.6 expected goals for per game. So for perspective, City created uh, 2.7 expected goals for per game last season, 2.4 expected goals for per game in 18-19 and 2.3 in 17-18. 
So they're currently not performing at the frightening attacking level. Um, though Gabriel Jesus is expected to return, he could well help with that. But um, I do think that Guardiola has definitely taken a much more defensive-minded um, approach this season. He's definitely put defence first, given the fact that they probably lost last season's title on uh, due to the fact that their defence was so frail and so easy to play against. Um, I think that some, it's going to be the same here. I, I don't think he'll want to allow Liverpool the spaces that they, they want to counter-attack. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Liverpool, really impressive in midweek. I think that that, that was a real statement win at, and 5-0 at, at Atalanta, um, the team that we obviously had as the best team in, in Italy last season on expected goals, has definitely um, helped move the market in Liverpool's favour. The deserved win of, uh, over West Ham last week uh, obviously put them back at the top of the Premier League table. Um, they sit top of our XG table as well. So while the results and performances may have looked unimpressive on the eye test, they've been thoroughly deserved. And uh, I think that that's, again, something that we saw quite a lot last season um, of Liverpool is basically just... Um, them doing enough to win matches. They won, they won quite a lot of matches last season by a single goal margin. This time around, it looks as though they're doing something similar. Um, and while they've looked defensively, they look a little bit shaky at times. 1.3 expected goals against per game uh, so far this season. They, they've missed key defensive personnel, which obviously is an issue heading into this match. But um, you know, one thing that always is the case with Liverpool is that they they do control matches from. Um, you know, really well with with and without the ball. So even if Man City are dominating the football, Liverpool are um, in in well organised enough to be able to dominate the football match and control what's going on. And um, you know, Jurgen Klopp's a smart guy. He he's got his traps set up um, that that will allow Liverpool to nick the ball and, and potentially create a few chances. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the Spurs game, Liverpool are the best attacking team in the Premier League according to expected goals. They've averaged 2.5 expected goals four per game domestically. Um, Salah Mane obviously started the season really impressively. Uh, big question marks around whether Firmino or Diogo Jota do get the start in this match. Um, Firmino's averaged 0.29 expected goals per average match this season. Diogo Jota at 0.5. Um, obviously, Jota had a hat-trick in midweek, so it would be really difficult for Klopp to uh, to drop him or rest him or whatever he would say. Um, but similar to the game we spoke about previously, Leicester-Wolves, I think that these it's just going to be a really close match between two evenly matched teams. Um, Liverpool have obviously made the better start of the season overall. The underlying numbers are much better um, and they look a more complete side at this stage, in my opinion. Though City's improving defences is likely to make things a little bit tougher um, for Liverpool than what they've perhaps experienced in recent years against Manchester City. Um, I know that last season at the Etihad, I think City ran out 4-0 winners, but Liverpool had already won the title pretty much at that stage. I think this is going to be a tight and tense affair. Neither team will want to give an inch. Uh, I think that'll benefit Liverpool, who probably would be happy to take a, take a draw um, from this match. Now, to be honest, I think Manchester City would happily take a draw as well. Just not to not to lose this key head to head early on in the season because, as as the table currently stands, Liverpool are on sixteen points, Manchester City on eleven. If Liverpool were to win, they put an eight point gap between Liverpool and City already, which is um, you know three wins effectively. Obviously, they've got a game in hand, but um, that's a that's a lot. Um, you know, it's quite a few points to be behind your, your closest rival at this this early on in the season. So um, yeah, basically the models the model thinks that Manchester City are rightly favourites, but the prices. They're too short to back um, Liverpool on the value play. I think that's absolutely deserved. I think Liverpool have been really impressive. Um, the performances that they've put in, obviously the results they've gained as well have been really solid. 
Manchester City do look a lot tighter defensively and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see this going um, under two and a half, which is a massive price for under 2.5, around 2.8, maybe 2.9. Um, but yeah, Liverpool, the draw is, is the main play in this one. Uh, maybe Liverpool plus 0.5 on the Asian handicap if, if that's uh, a marginally better price. Uh, yeah, City, 45% chance on our model. So 55% chance of, of Liverpool avoiding defeat is definitely a play that, I, that I'm getting on board with. And, and I think I will probably chance the under two and a half as well uh, myself. I think I could see this maybe finishing 1-1. I know that the goals, the goal line is really high for this game. Um, but yeah, the unders is... is a small value play. We're a thirty-seven percent chance, um, and the model is uh, the market's at thirty-four percent. So a big price under two and a half is, is maybe where I'd go or a little bit more security. Maybe go for the under three uh, goals on the Asian goal line. Well, one-one would would certainly suit Pinnacle for this one. It's uh, un, unlike Pinnacle to go for a both teams to score prediction, but that's that's where we're at with this one. And obviously, I think the the thinking is based on although Manchester City have struggled a little bit going forward. Liverpool don't have a, a full strength back line and and on the other side of that you've got City who over the last kind of season or so have, have struggled at the back and, and given away big chances and when you're, you're playing against Salah Mane and most likely Jota then chances are going to come hopefully goals come and, and we'll see what happens but yeah both teams to score for pinnacle on that one it is our second highlight game as always the, the predictions will go out on our, our social media channels and we'll, we'll track week to week and hopefully have a little bit more positive news to talk about next week uh, compared to this. Right, so our final game of the the week is is Arsenal versus Aston Villa. We've done a lot of Arsenal bashing on this podcast over the last season or so, and it has been deserved given what we've seen from them. However, um, you do have to appreciate what Arteta has done in terms of the the change in how they play and and how solid they, they look at the back and I think they've got the second best defensive process in the league and that has come at quite a big sacrifice as they're not really doing much going forward at all. We we talked about Aubameyang's struggles last week and obviously the penalty will, will boost his numbers, but Arsenal are on just 1.2 expected goals four per game. They can certainly get results by playing that way if they're if they're really good at the back, but it's it's whether they're flexible enough to then go out and attack teams, which I think is is what we'll, we might see here. We might have to wait and see in, in another couple of games, but it's now two losses in a row for Aston Villa after starting with four wins from four. The XG figures from the, the loss to Southampton suggest that Villa were unlucky. I kind of mentioned it right at the very top of the show. They they were they were definitely unlucky to lose that game, but there is also an element of, of Southampton not really doing much, inviting the pressure on towards the end of the game. Um, the odds for this have Arsenal quite sure. Um, Betters certainly like them after the win against Manchester United. Their odds are a 1.729, so that gives them a 57% chance of getting three points. Villa are 5.22, so that gets them a, a 19% chance of the win, and the, the draw is available at 3.99. The total is just a, a touch over the average at 2.5 and 3. The over is also slightly favoured in that, which might seem strange given given the the, the shift in, in style that we've seen from Arsenal recently. It's, are we going to see the the new and improved Arsenal at the back, Jake? Is is that enough for them to offer value here? No, not really. Um, we've 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 got some them. things never change. Well, it slightly changed <laughs> because we are in line with what the market is suggesting. So there isn't value in backing Arsenal, but they, they are priced correctly. Um, yeah, I I, I, just, I don't know. I'm still not bought into this um, this Arsenal hype. I just think that they are a, a team that do 
they're set up to play well against better teams, which is what we saw last week against Manchester United. I don't even think they played well last week against Manchester United. I thought that they they played well uh, without the ball rather than with it because they didn't create anything at all, really. 0.27 expected goals, um, excluding the penalty. So they didn't create anything. Um, obviously, defensively, they looked really solid against United. 0.39 expected goals against. But against teams where they actually have to go and try and break them down, they do tend to struggle. Um, you know, Just look at Leicester that last game. Um, their last home game in the league was uh, a 1-0 defeat in which they created 0.96 expected goals and you're not going to win too many matches creating that um, so that yeah I'm not I'm not sold I think they are they are improving obviously the defensive processes is where they're improving the quickest which is as I said earlier is really is, is much easier to organise a defence than it is to, to tr- teach your strikers to score goals and uh, your midfielders to create chances so um yeah, they're improving in that in that sense, but I just think that Villa will probably sit in here and make life difficult. They'll probably understand Villa that, that Arsenal will struggle to to break down uh, a deep line block, and Villa now have the pace of you know like Grealish, Watkins, and Bertrand Traore to really hurt them on the counter attack. Arsenal, so it's a dangerous game this for Arsenal, and and um, you know I don't want I don't think people should be getting carried away with what they've seen so far from from the Gunners because. Process-wise, it hasn't been all that impressive. Uh, obviously, the four wins from seven matches uh, reads pretty well, but they're averaging um, just well at home. It's even worse, but they're averaging one point two expected goals for per game, one point one seven against at home so far. They've averaging zero point nine four expected goals for per game, or one point one two against. So at the Emirates, they're averaging less than one expected goal for per game, which is um, worryingly bad, really. Um, for a team that does have a lot of really strong attacking players. And I think these two played each other towards the back end of last season at Villa Park. Um, same managers, similar players, uh, and Villa won that game 1-0 as Arsenal, again, really struggled to create opportunities. I think 0.96 XG on that day. So wouldn't be at all surprised to see a 1-0 either way here, really. I, I'm not writing Villa off from getting something from this match because I don't think that Arsenal are perhaps as good as what people are making out. Villa themselves, they've they've they got off to such a good start. The expectations went through the roof, and then they've just been brought back down to earth with a bit of a bang. Really, three um, 0 home defeat to Leeds was more well. It was their worst performance of the season, worst performance since um, post lockdown. So they that, that was not a really good start, a good way to to follow up on that Leicester win. And against Southampton, um, you know they they were down and out before they started creating chances. Um, so, be really interesting to see what kind of Villa we get here because the Villa that we had become accustomed to over the last three, four months have been a, a defence-first Villa um, that had conceded around 1.2 expected goals against per game across their last 15 matches prior to that Leeds game. So, the fact that they conceded seven goals in two matches, um, they, they allowed over nearly four expected goals across those two matches is a little bit worrying because you're sort of getting towards the trend in, uh, you know, the Villa trend that we saw last season, which saw them as the worst defensive team in the Premier League up until the um, you know the coronavirus pandemic sort of happened. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what approach Dean Smith takes here. I think that they are more than capable of shutting up shop and, and matching Arsenal in terms of defensive stability. Um, and yeah, it, then it all comes down to can anyone actually score? Um, I won't be surprised to see this be nil-nil as well. <laughs> There's quite a few nil-nils on Sunday by the sound of it. But um, yeah, I just think that the, the, the Arsenal will find it difficult to create chances and, and break Villa down unless they get gifted a penalty. So um, yeah, the unders is definitely where I'm looking in this. Odds against for under 2.5 goals. You said there's money for the overs, which is surprising. 
Uh, the market's at 44% chance of under two and a half, models at 47%. So decent enough value there of getting on uh, on board with 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 that. And that that for me is, is the best play in this in this match. It's definitely the best way forward. The best angle in uh, in what could be a, a pretty drab match to round off uh, the the week. Positive thinking, Jake. That's just what we like. Uh, <laughs> that, that is it for for today's episode. Fantastic insight as always, Jake. Thanks for coming on and, and helping our listeners inform their predictions. It's it's much appreciated. Cheers, Ben. We'll catch up in a couple of weeks. And you can find more from InfoGoal and use them as a tool to help you find value in the betting markets by following at InfoGoal app on Twitter, visiting InfoGoal.net and downloading the app on iOS and Android. Head over to Pinnacle.com for all the latest Premier League odds. Good luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly. 